Hey listeners, welcome back to Shades of Crime. Today's episode is going to be a bit different than usual, but I can promise you it's just as wild as the previous episodes. Today, we will see what happens when an unauthorized newspaper publishes a diatribe targeting a marginalized group in a highly conservative country. This is about the Rolling Stone hit list. So get ready, because things are about to get shady. Prior to European colonization, the country of Uganda had very open views on sexuality and gender identity. However, that all changed with British colonization. Britain at the time had laws which made homosexual behavior punishable, with up to seven years in prison. These laws carried forward to the British colonies and created a distaste for homosexuality in places which previously had open perceptions. From then on, in Uganda, members of the LGBTQ were viewed a bit differently, but in general, they weren't super alienated from the public. But in 2009, views of the LGBTQ, and particularly homosexuality, would take a drastic turn. Back in 2009, a group of radical evangelical Christians from America, led by a man named Scott Lively, who is known for his anti-gay rhetoric, hosted seminars in Uganda discussing how homosexuals were sexual predators infiltrating schools and sodomizing young boys. These seminars then covered how to make homosexuals straight again and how to stop their recruitment of youths in school. Something about these hate-laden lectures resonated with the Ugandan general public. A reverend named Kapia Kayoma from Zambia gave some insight into why the public was so receptive to these rants. Kayoma said that when you talk about threats to African families, this threatens the people's tribes and ancestry, and that the people will do anything in the interest of tribal preservation, and he even went so far to say that these dangerous ideas could very well result in genocide. Following these events, Uganda introduced laws which held potential life imprisonment and in extreme cases, death for people who partook in homosexual activities. With the public rife with fear and hatred, Uganda began to become a dangerous place for openly gay and trans slash non-gender conforming people. Increasing rates of violence against members of the LGBTQ were reported and nothing was being done to counter this. In the middle of this frenzy, an unauthorized Ugandan newspaper called The Rolling Stone published a front-page article which had dire outcomes. In 2010, The Rolling Stone, which has no relation to the U.S. magazine, published a front-page article entitled 100 Photos of Uganda's Top Homos, with a statement saying, Hang Them. Within this article, the author released the names and locations of a hundred gays in Uganda, some of which were paired with photos of the people. Those covered in the article were often harassed, assaulted, kicked out of their families, denied service, and alienated. A trans man, for the sake of anonymity, I will call Mark, he was followed, verbally harassed, 
kicked out of his family, and denied service when trying to purchase cigarettes. Mark had gone to his home, where some of his old friends began pelting large stones at his home, and Mark was convinced they intended to kill him by stoning. Due to this, Mark had to move to a new city. Many other people listed also had to move. Three people named in this article sued the publisher for slanderous publications, and since the paper was not official, the suit was won, and the article was removed from circulation, but its information lived on in the public. David Cato grew up in a conservative family with a poor perception of homosexuality, so when Cato felt an attraction to men, he tried to push it away, but eventually he could no longer do so, and he came out to his family. His family initially attempted to convert him, but when they failed, they decided to accept him for who he was. In 1990, Cato moved to South Africa to become a teacher. While there, he began his life as an openly gay man. Even though Cato felt safer and more accepted in South Africa, he couldn't help but think of his home and the people like him that couldn't live authentically. So that's why, in the late 2000s, Cato decided to return to Uganda and fight for those forced into seclusion. When Cato returned to Uganda, he held what was reported to be the first ever Ugandan gay rights press meeting, where he was hit by police and they apparently cracked his nose. This didn't discourage Cato, though, and he continued his activism and worked on forming the group called Sexual Minorities Uganda, or SMUG. This program educated youth on sexual minorities and HIV and AIDS, and it's approximated that about 17% of Uganda's gay community has HIV, so education is very important at this point. It was due to Cato's prominent activity with Uganda's LGBTQ community that he was one of the most featured people on the Rolling Stones' Top 100 Homos list. Cato and two others made the lawsuit against the paper. This suit was a very public affair, and even when it was won, celebrations were very short. And sadly, fear remained in the hearts of those that were named on the list. When Cato was interviewed by a writer for the New York Times, he set the meeting in a dark alley outside of a disco in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. He apologized and said it's Uganda after all, and I want to be a good activist, not a dead one. So it's pretty clear how much he really had to fear, and he couldn't even meet a journalist in public because he feared for his life. On January 26th of 2011, Cato was found severely beaten with a metal bar in his own home, and he was pronounced dead at the scene. Friends of Cato reported to the police they had seen one of his acquaintances entering and leaving his home within the time that he was murdered. When police discovered Cato, they observed that a few items were missing from his home. And for that reason, they declared that the motive was murder, although Cato's friends pushed and pushed to convince them that this was in fact a hate crime. But in a society where it's illegal to be gay, it's kind of hard to convince authorities that someone's being murdered for a hate crime. It's hard enough in societies where it's legal to be gay. A trans male friend of Cato went so far to say that members of the LGBTQ community in Uganda can't trust anyone outside of the community if Cato's acquaintance could kill him. Ultimately, the case had very little investigating done, and it seemed like that's how it would remain. But, in an unexpected twist, 
police took his suspect into custody in November of 2011. Sidney Nisubanga Enoch was apprehended under suspicion of involvement in Cato's murder. While in police custody, eyewitnesses were able to positively ID him as the man at the scene around the time of Cato's murder. When Sidney was brought to court, he confessed and provided details on the murder. According to Sidney, on January 26th, he had been over visiting Cato. While there, Sidney claims Cato made a sexual advance on him and Sidney flew into a blind rage and grabbed a metal bar and beat Cato to death. However, certain aspects of this murder made Sidney's story questionable to the judge and to me too. The judge's main holdouts were the fact that things were stolen from the home. And another aspect is that it seems unlikely Cato just had a metal bar laying on his living room floor, so Sidney probably brought that metal bar in, and why would he do that if he wasn't intending to do something bad with it? For those reasons, this attack was miraculously ruled as a first-degree murder, and Sidney received a 30-year sentence. More than 100 people attended David Cato's funeral, where they exchanged memories of the brilliant, passionate, quick-witted, and beautiful man they loved. Unfortunately, a priest attended the funeral and told mourners they needed to repent for grieving his death. Cato's death only fueled the LGBTQ activism in Uganda, and they worked to increase their influence. In 2013, Uganda attempted its first pride, but authorities shut it down because it promoted unnatural behavior, according to them. In 2014, the LGBTQ experienced another blow when government officials proposed what they called the Kill the Gays Bill, which would punish recruitment and education and gay partnership with life in prison and aggravated homosexuality would be punished with death. And I really don't know what aggravated homosexuality means. And prior to this bill being introduced, it was illegal for two men to have sex or two females to have sex, and basically any sort of sexual activity that wasn't vaginal penetration was prohibited. But there were no laws against, say, educating people on homosexuality or being in a homosexual relationship. But if people found out you had sex, then you could be charged. Thankfully, the Kill the Gays bill was rejected on a legal technicality. They didn't have enough signatures for the bill to pass, which is kind of scary that it got that far. But it created a surge of violence against the LGBTQ. Gay bars were subjected to raids, and arrests of gay men were frequent. In one instance... A gay bar in Kampala was attacked by anti-gay protesters, and when the police were called to help the people at the bar, 20 gay men were arrested, and the protesters were not. These gay men were then subjected to a rectal exam, and they were all imprisoned for homosexual sex. In 2019, 28-year-old Brian Waswa was actively fighting for LGBTQ rights and worked as a paralegal championing gay rights in Uganda. Brian identified as gender non-conforming and as gay. Brian was publicly out and listed on the Rolling Stone article. Brian tirelessly worked to educate Uganda's youth on HIV and AIDS and how to manage and prevent it. Brian lived in a fenced-in community in Jinja, a small city about two hours outside of Kampala. Brian was well known for their work in the community. 
On September 4th, around 4 o'clock, a few kids from Brian's neighborhood were out and about and noticed that Brian's door was left ajar. They went to investigate and happened upon a terrifying sight. The two kids found Brian laying on the floor in a pool of their own blood. The kids quickly contacted the police, and the police found that Brian was whacked ten times in the head with a short-handled garden hoe. Brian was rushed to the Jinja hospital, but the staff weren't prepared for such an in-depth procedure, so Brian was sent off to the Kampala hospital on September 5th. Unfortunately, Brian succumbed to their injuries en route to the hospital. While reports were given citing men leaving the scene, little investigating was done. Just shortly after this, Ugandan officials announced that they planned to reintroduce the Kill the Gays bill. With hate like that coming from officials, it's not hard to see why Brian's case sits unsolved and nearly untouched. To this day, members of the LGBTQ in Uganda face jail time for being who they are and remain fearful to live authentically. Recently, throughout this COVID-19 crisis, a shelter for gay men that's known for treating HIV and AIDS was raided because they were supposedly breaking social distancing rules. All of them were arrested and taken to jail. And it's popular belief that these arrests were just a ploy and that it's truly discrimination against the gay community. Despite the potential for being arrested, Uganda's LGBTQ community fights, literally, for their lives. And the more these issues are talked about, the more change will be enacted. Members of the LGBTQ and allies must stand in solidarity for those who are restricted in doing so. For more information on the status of Uganda's LGBTQ community and how you can help, check out the Sexual Minorities Uganda website. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Shades of Crime. Our theme music is by Shalee Musso. All sources for this episode can be found on our blog at www.shadesofcrime.ca. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or any case requests, you can email us at shadesofcrime at gmail.com. Shades of Crime can be found basically wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to get the news out about this podcast. Shades of Crime can also be found on Instagram at Shades of Crime Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.